Is your ledger safe or should you throw it down the toilet? Uh, Ethereum, it's got a finality outage. Is it safe or should you also throw it down the toilet? We don't know. <laughs> Bankless Nation, it is the third Friday in May and it's morning time on Friday or afternoon time. Actually, or it's not. Time. It is, it is 4.40 p.m. <laughs> All right. Well, it's morning for me, David, and I can't wait to have you on the East Coast, but you're still in Montenegro. But we, okay, this intro is going long. We got mm -hmm. something to tell them. It's time for the what? Bankless Friday weekly roll-up where we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we persevere nonetheless into the frontier. It's going to be a long one today, so I'm speaking fast. All right. That's good. Let's keep, let's keep up that pace, David. Mm -hmm. Topics of the week. Did we just get rugged by Ledger, the hardware wallet? Or is this just mob season on Twitter? Is this ledger getting canceled? That's uh, number one. What else are we covering this week? Ethereum's non-finality event. Is non-finality an event? Did Ethereum break or is it working as intended? We'll talk about that and more. And Gary Gensler continues to be in the hot seat. Nice. Uh, Bedrock, WorldCoin, Dogecoin, plenty of things to talk about there. But bigly, most bigly, Nike's dot swoosh program a program that no one is paying attention to, which might be the coolest Web3 metaverse thingy thingy that got released that everyone else is just ignoring because we're, we're busy canceling each other on Twitter. <laughs> that that was it was cancel week for sure. Yeah. Uh, maybe some of it justified though. We'll get into uh, we'll get into the story. Definitely the bankless cancelship was uh, was justified a little yeah, bit. Fuck those guys. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, before we get in, let's talk about fuzzing. Do you want to spend a minute talking yeah. about our friends and sponsors over at Consensus? Because they want you to know you should be fuzzing right now if you are not fuzzing. David, what does this mean? What am I talking about? Uh, so Consensus has a new diligence tool for all the people who write code. So it's an audit grade security tool that serves as an automated way to find code vulnerabilities. If you know what fuzzing is, then this is for you. If you don't know what fuzzing is, then this isn't for you. Uh, and so if you are working to uh, write code without having to host your own infrastructure, no writing of complex tests, blah, 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 diligence fuzzing is a system to test your code uh, that is built by consensus. So you can layer on additional security in addition to your regular audit. Uh, you can also use consensus's uh, diligence fuzzing. Uh, so this is consensus's message to you. Go fuzz yourself. <laughs> <laughs> did you and just then, come up with that on the fly? I Are you did, kidding yeah. me? Yeah. So in the order talent. to go fuzz yourself and your code, there's a link in the show notes. It's uh, you could fuzz for free too. Uh, <laughs> it's free fuzzing on Vegas. You can do it by yourself. <laughs> Fuzzing all by yourself for free. Can you beat that? Well, let's get to the markets. Enough with this fuzzing talk, David. What are the markets telling us this week, starting with Bitcoin? It's flat. 27,300. <laughs> Start of the week, end of the week. It's flat. You did. You put the same number twice. I'm looking, I'm looking at the, the agenda here, which I uh -huh. print out, by the way. Every yeah, week I, paper, I print like out so I can look down yeah. on paper. 27,300 yep. is the start, and you have the current 27,300. Those are the same it numbers. It can't be. I know those are the same, but like, really? I mean, give or take a few dollars. But you just rounded it, huh? You just, I, like, it's flat. How do you know? It's that season. You can check my math. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trusting you. I, every week, I don't even look at I barely look at this, even though uh -huh. the charts are beautiful. Thank you, Kraken Pro, for these charts. I barely look at this. I just hear you mm -hmm. tell me numbers each week. What, what is the ETH price? 1820. It was 1827 days ago. It's 1820 today. It's a flat week. You know what? Something suspicious about these numbers. You're just copy and pasting, I think. <laughs> ETH Bitcoin, the ratio. Uh flat. <laughs> <laughs> Are 
you serious? Of course it's Why not. Why do we Look even do flat. markets anymore? No, no, no. Okay. Whatever. And Bankless Nation, please uh, open up your price checker apps, open up your Kraken app on your phone and check the cr- price currently because it might not be flat. Who knows? Yeah. Verify this for me. Yeah. With, with, uh, don't, David. don't trust. And, I, I mean, I'm sure this is for most Bankless listeners. This is the first time they'll be checking prices this week, yeah, by the way. 100%, like, they just yeah. wait until uh, they, we, we prompt people them to actually listen to the bankless podcast in order to hear about the crypto prices. I they don't, so. they don't know it's, the prices until we tell them it's a global source of truth for that. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll tell them the uh, market cap of crypto then while we're at it. We're coming in at a whopping $1.18 trillion. So I think we are up $60 billion from last week, marginally up. So okay. uh, some shit coins got pumped. If Bitcoin is flat and ether and flat, but the total crypto David, market cap is up. David, shit coins you, you are can't, up. You can't call the rest. You can't call everything non-ether and, and non-Bitcoin shitcoin, David. I, you think, just I, just, really I can't. think I just did. I know. And I feel like I should cancel you for that, for saying that. Oh, God. Uh, Beacon Chain, ETH Supply. It's All-time up. highs. Up. It's up. This ain't flat. Uh, no, it's up. We're continuing to go up. Okay, what is so this chart is all-time highs. How uh-huh. much ETH do we have deposited? 18 and a half million Ether. Yeah, so if you zoom in real close, I think this is one of those charts where you can click and drag and it'll automatically zoom in uh, and we can get real close. Real uh, close. I can get you the month. Yeah. We'll settle for that. Yeah, 18, 18.5 million Ether is deposited onto the beacon chain. It is going up faster than it has ever gone up before. Man. Which is pretty cool. Is pretty A lot cool. of people were wrong about this. They yeah. said uh, post withdrawals, it would be going down and it's not going down. It's going well, back it up. went down for um, not even two weeks. It went down for like 10 days. So the, here's a cool new website. I mean, actually it's really boring. Uh, it's actually a very boring website, but yeah, it's still, it's not. <laughs> it is a the information blank, is cool. Yeah, there are five the lines boring of website here. I've ever seen. Yeah, so this is Ethereum Do.O validator queue, validator hyphen queue, hyphen monitoring. God, I'm not even going to read that. There's a link in the show notes. <laughs> it basically tells this you two things. sucks, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to whoever made this website. It's supremely useful. It is basically okay. uh, a tug of war between the depositors and the validators, and it tells you who is winning that tug of war. So... Pending validators on the entry queue is at 55,000 pending validators. 55,000 pending validators. If you want to make a new validator, it will take you 731 hours to get through that line. If you are a validator who would like to exit and stop being a validator, it will take you, drum roll, four minutes. (laughs) Four minutes? Four minutes to exit. If I want to leave, it only takes four minutes, but if I want to get in... It's mm-hmm. like the the best like uh, nightclub ever, man. Yes, it's, it's yes. just the line just keeps getting longer. <laughs> Seven hundred and thirty one <laughs> hours to get into the nightclub and four minutes to exit. Man, people really want to be on the beacon chain. They totally do. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, congrats Ethereum for that. Um, <laughs> all right, let's talk about some other market news, David. I think the big question this week in the markets is where are we in the cycle? You ju- you just kept t- talking about flat, and I feel mm-hmm. like that's a pretty good description. But um, let's start at the highest level. What is the Fed doing this week? And can the Fed actually declare victory on their interest rate rises? And are we going to stop doing that? This is Paul Tudor Jones, who is a billionaire investor, manages a hedge fund, is someone the traditional finance markets respect on that question. Here he is on CNBC. I want to know what you think about this, David. Here, I'm going to play it. I actually want you to react a, a little bit to this Austin Goolsby uh, interview and some of his comments. I'm curious where you think uh, interest rates will go, should be. What do you think? I think they've done hiking. 
I'm so glad I don't have his job because listening to these guys try to not say what they really want to say and what they really think. What do you think he really wants to say? He wants to say we're done, we've gone too far, and enough's enough. That's, That's what he wants to say. He just can't say that because he's... New on, he's new on the board, and he has to follow the chairman. But that's what he wants to say. And what do you want to say? If you I, I think board? he's right. I think they're done. You think they are done? Oh, definitely, I think they're done. I mean, they could probably declare victory now. Because if you look at CPI, it's been declining 12 straight months. 12 straight months. That's never happened before in history. So there's a strong downward arc to inflation at the moment. Two-year break-evens are under 2%. Clearly, they have to be governed by trailing 12-month inflation. But if we get to the here and now, you can see that inflation, to a great extent, has been wrung out of the market. Now, does that mean that we're getting ready to imminently cut? No. But you got to think of interest rates a bit like chemo. So chemo chemotherapy, chemo is poison. Interest rates with the kind of amount of sector-wide debt that we have between private consumer and the government, we're probably at levels where we've typically hit a recession in the past because of the interest tax on the economy. So we're at a level that historically has really slowed the economy and historically has kicked off a recession. I think it's just a question of waiting He goes on, David, and then he talks about uh, equity markets, and he says this, uh, on equity prices, I think they're going to continue to go up this year, but I'm not rampantly bullish because I think it'll be a a slow grind, but he thinks equities uh, end the year higher than they began the year. So what's your take on all of this? Is Can the Fed declare victory? Are they done? What do you think uh, about Paul Paul Tudor Jones and, and his takes on this market? Well, first and foremost, Paul Tudor Jones is way smarter than me and way more informed. <laughs> so take that, take all of my further words with with that. Um, he said CPI is down for 12 months in a row. Yes, and core CPI is not. And that is the bigger deal and the more important one. And that is such an obvious fact that I'm sure Paul Tudor Jones has something to say about that response. However, to say that, like, oh, yeah, inflation, 12 months in a row, it's down. Like, that's not the whole story. The, the it, it issue was also it, up a lot. Yeah. Right? And so like, uh, the last time I checked, uh, which was uh, not too long ago, it was six weeks ago, core CPI has not had not reversed. And that is the bigger story that I've thought. And so in order to have a more informed take, I would need to go back to the core CPI numbers and compare that to what Paul Tudor Jones is saying. But Paul Tudor Jones is like uh, smarter than me about this. Interest, so like, high interest rates as um, as chemo. And yeah. I, I, I guess that means like debt is like cancer or like, yes. uh, I don't know, meme like stock like markets mal, or like Malinformed investment, poor capital allocation is, in, is cancer. Yeah, That is the cancer you have to cut out of the system. Anyway, yeah. um, the Fed is done raising rates now is the message. I think you might be right on that core message. But that brings us to the crypto markets. And mm-hmm. this is uh, something we talked about last week, David. Right. And maybe we want to put more flesh on this because last week a theme was liquidity is drying. It's a desert out there because mm-hmm. liquidity is drying out in crypto markets. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Ram, who's been a, a previous guest on the Bankless podcast now a couple of times, who has some great insight on this, on liquidity in crypto. What's he telling us? 
So I, I believe Ram is actually uh, following up with what we were saying last week in the market section, uh, because in our in our Telegram channel with him, he was like, hey, uh, really good points about liquidity, which I usually don't Hey, good take. I don't have good takes about market <laughs> macro markets. He was uh, being kind except, to us. Except that, that one, I was like, okay, I think I'm Thanks right about wrong. this one. And then he comes in and follows up. And, and so here's what he says. Crypto markets liquidity has dried up significantly. These are the consequences of a lack of a crypto bank settlement layer, Silvergate and Signature. Market makers need a way to settle instantly with counterparties. So here's the part that we missed last week. Uh, Silvergate and Signature had uh, SEN, SEN, and Signet, their interbank instant um, settlement layer between banks that market makers would use. Uh, and so in crypto, the problem was seemingly solved with SEN and Signet. Uh, a market maker can enjoy instant settlement. One benefit is not having to type capital on many exchanges or waiting several days for funds to clear. Lack of instant settlement hurts capital efficiency. The banks intermediate these transactions. They confirm tractions and validate sufficient funds, just like the blockchain. Uh, and so he's what he's saying is that, yes, all the reasons that we talked about last week uh, are reasons why there's liquidity leaving the market and also... The, the specific products that these crypto banks made in order to satisfy crypto market makers called Signet and, and Send and Send transfers. Uh, and so this, these specific products are missing now from the market because uh, Choke Point choked them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these uh, the settlement infrastructure for crypto was operating behind the scenes, almost like a private side chain or a private blockchain, right. and it was settling yeah. all these transactions. Pri and private this is no longer network. the case. Yeah. Um, we had Ram on the podcast to talk more about this. And uh, I would encourage folks to go listen to that if you already haven't about the US banking system and the mm -hmm. crisis that we've seen recently. So this is the part of the market, David, we've been calling the uh, the apathy market. We've we've gone from bear market where that was obvious to bore market, right? Mm -hmm. From bear to bore market. And this is how Anthony Sassano puts it. I love how the entire market has been bleeding nonstop for like a week now. And crypto Twitter is pretty much dead silent about it. Clearest sign I've seen so far that we're now firmly in the time-based capitulation part of the bear market. Time-based capitulation. That's the part of the bear market we're in, says Anthony. What does he mean by that? Uh, he means that now it's boring. <laughs> and so uh, time-based capitulation. So the excitement is over. Even when like prices are going down and like there's blood on the streets, at least it's still exciting. Uh, so what Anthony is saying is like, well, now... Like all, we've bled all of our blood. Like we got nothing left to bleed. We all the excitement has left the market. Now, now we just have to wait this one out. That term capitulation, though, um, he means like people give up in the bull yes. market, don't they? Yeah. They capitulate. Mm -hmm. They're like, ah, it's not moving. Like it's right. not going up. It's not going. It's it's going to go down forever. Crypto. The numbers aren't. The numbers back. aren't even going down. If it was going down, it'd be exciting. Now it's just flat. They sell, and so yeah. they sell. They capitulate in this type right. of market. That's the market phase that we're in right now. As if on cue, David, I just saw this this morning from The Economist. Here's the headline. I read the whole story, but it's mm. kind of summarized in the headline. The promise of crypto has not lived up to its initial excitement. A crypto finance revolution looks further off than ever from The Economist. These That's are the types bearish of, sentiment headline. This is the apathy market headline. You're going to see a lot of these in the yeah. weeks and the months yeah, to yeah, come. Yeah. And uh, it's up to you if you want mm -hmm. to do the time-based capitulation part or you want to hold through this to the other side. But I got to tell you, man, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. We've done this yeah. a few times now in crypto. Like I've seen these headlines before. So you know what this means to me? What? The bear market is half over. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I so like agree the, with the, you we more. are now in uh, 2019. Uh, yeah. 2018 is over. 2019 has started. 
the true convicted people will watch the innovation happen and learn to be excited about that, even if it doesn't mean the prices are going to do anything. And they will learn to be excited about that. And then the prices will return. And then the bear market or bull market will start. And then you actually won't. <laughs> if you were like me, you won't know what you're really in for with a full <laughs> bear market starting from the low, low prices that we're currently at. Anyways, that's okay. how it happened last time. Happy 2019, everyone. Happy I mean, 2019. It's, it's just 2019, but it's 10x, right? I remember yeah. like uh, 2019, ETH was saying it in the 100 to like 250 One, one to forever. 300, over and over and over. Well, what again. are we right now? What is the equivalent, right? Yeah. Like just, you know, 10x that. 1,000 yeah. to 2,000? That's like 100 to 200. Like it's so crazy, dude. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> That is zero. The crypto gods are giving us yet another opportunity, my friend. Uh, <laughs> if you're here, you probably see it. Um, this is a chart that I do like looking at, though. Total locked value in layer twos. This is on layer two beat, of course. This hasn't changed a ton. Of course, we've got Arbitrum number one, 5.87 mm -hmm. billion in optimism coming in. But look at this activity chart. So this is the number of um, transactions. Yo, yo, look at that. ZK Sync era. <laughs> All right. Ooh. Immutable X. Wow. We got, okay. th that's actually the first time we've seen chains be equivalent to Ethereum throughput. That's pretty like, cool. Yeah. Immutable X for people who uh, can't see this on screen. Immutable X number one with a seven day increase of 250% and mm -hmm. um, transaction throughput higher than Ethereum mainnet. ZK Sync up almost 200% as well over the last seven days. Mm -hmm. getting to uh, equivalency of Ethereum mm -hmm. mainnet transactions per second. And if people are like, uh, I thought layer twos are supposed to be faster than Ethereum. Ethereum layer one is clogged. It is as fast as it's ever going to go. Yeah. Uh, Immutable X, ZK Sync, these are ZK rollups. These are not clogged. People yeah. just aren't using them enough. Yeah. This but we have equivalent amount of usage of these things as Ethereum. So... It's cool. And it's then cool like, if, you, if you aggregate it all together, which is this red graph in aggregate, man, we have not been reporting on this. I think the last time we talked about this, the scaling factor of combined layer twos was like 2.4. We're up to yeah. 3.7. So layer twos right. are doing 3.7 times as much economic it's activity. High, it's an all time high in economic activity on layer twos. Economic activity in transactions per second, not total value nuances, but still. Yes. Uh, Economic activity of transactions. Yes, Tran transaction. Highs. Yeah, transaction volume. And what mm -hmm. was interesting to me is um, these are both ZK. This yes. is both ZK technology, right. not optimistic yeah. technology. The yep. immutable that's, and that's uh, ZK right. era. So good news. That's All right. right, we had a lot more to talk about, David. What's coming up? Coming up, we got to talk about the big news of the week. Is your ledger safe or should you throw it down the toilet? Uh, Ethereum's got a finality outage. Is it safe or should you also throw it down the toilet? We don't know. <laughs> Bedrock on optimism's coming to mainnet. Say hello to DRC20s. You know what a DRC20 is, Ryan? Doctor20? Okay, I don't know what this is, no. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm about to tell you. So we're going to get to all of this and more as soon as we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially Kraken, our preferred exchange for 2023. If you do not have an account with Kraken, consider getting one in the show notes. Here we go. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands 
thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. Immutable is at the forefront of Web3 gaming, on a mission to bring digital ownership to every player, offering the world's best games and game development platform. Immutable lets game builders and players focus on great gaming experiences. So build your next Web3 game on easy mode with Immutable's leading full stack Web3 gaming platform. Its built-in UX features like the Immutable Passport are designed for games to scale to the next billion players coming to Web3. With Immutable, players can sign up with an email, pay with a credit card, and experience a frictionless purchase flow inside of games. So discover your next favorite game and explore a network of 150 games building on Immutable, including such titles as Gauze Unchained, Guilds of Guardians, Illuvium, Ember Sword, and Metalcore. So join Web3's largest ecosystem of games and players. Build, play, and connect at immutable.com. Introducing ETHX from Stator. ETHX is a liquid staking token designed to maximize rewards all while securing Ethereum. With Stator, you can run an Ethereum node with just four ETH, which is 85% lower capital and 35% higher rewards versus solo staking. Stator has a multi-pool architecture with permissionless and permission node operators to enable decentralization and scalability. Stator has extensive experience in building liquid staking protocols on six proof-of-stake blockchains and is trusted by over 70,000 stakers. Stator has partnered with over 40 leading protocols to bring DeFi utility to their liquid staking tokens. Stator is actively building integrations across the Ethereum ecosystem to bring the same great DeFi utility to the EtherX token, with a million dollars of SD token rewards in DeFi for ETHX users. All of Stator's smart contracts are audited by at least two independent cybersecurity auditors and have multi-million dollar bug bounties currently live. So go to staterlabs.com ETH to sign up and get access to the Stator staking protocol. What happened to Ethereum last week? David, after we recorded last week's roll-up, there was a hiccup. Mm-hmm. And then there was a second one on the Ethereum network. What happened to Ethereum? Can you give us the details? Yeah, so Ethereum blocks stopped finalizing for about 25 minutes. And then the second non-finality event lasted for about an over an hour. Um, and so what does finality mean? Uh, blocks are still processed. Transactions go into blocks. Blocks are still uh, sent around, but they are not being finalized, as in they are not having the last line of security locking those blocks into the chain. So blocks are still being added to the chain, but they are not being permanently embedded under the full uh, weight of proof of stake yet. Uh, and so this is... Um, this is an interesting nuance. Uh, and so we did a show with Preston Van Loon and Terrence from Prismatic that will be able to ex- explain this deeper, but just at a high level, uh, every single validator does attestations. Uh, and so there was a large amount of attestations due to the increased uh, number of validators because so many new stakers are coming online. There is increased requirements between bandwidth and also computation. And so a bunch of attestations are being sent around and that overloaded uh, a number of validators, another, excuse me, a number of clients. Uh, and so Teku and Prism released software updates pretty quickly that um, strengthened and fixed this part. And then all of a sudden we were able to return to finality. And then we had a unique lesson learned about how Ethereum works and a uh, contingency patched. Uh, and so that's the TLDR. How, how would you add to that? I think I, I think that's a great so it um, Ethereum didn't go down. This wasn't an outage as as we've seen with other networks like Solana, which was a straight outage. Transactions couldn't mm-hmm. uh, move forward for like hours at a time in in mm-hmm. some cases. Uh, this was a a temporary halting of finality, which is I wouldn't different. even use that's, the word halting if we wanted to be super precise. Fi- we did yeah, not achieve delay. finality, but it's nothing is halted. Right, yeah. and so. Um, 
some people were saying that like Ethereum broke in this some case, people. including <laughs> and some including, people. <laughs> can you believe it? Like can you some people it? even tweeted that out as a headline and Didn't then explained it in the details of the body words. of the tweet. But what, we're not precise about that. Um, but Ethereum didn't break in that mm-hmm. sense. In fact, mm-hmm. this is kind of a demonstration of its resilience. If you want all the right. details, go to the, the episode that we just did with, with um, Preston and Terrence. Mm-hmm. But I think this showcases the value of a multi-client architecture for one. 100%. Exactly. Okay, so Prism and Teku had this problem. Lighthouse, yes. no problems whatsoever. So Lighthouse, like, I don't know, Ethereum's working fine for me and I'm doing my thing. And so Ethereum's just going to keep on going because I'm going to put Ethereum on my shoulders. It's also, it also demonstrates kind of the, the, the blend of proof of stake that Ethereum is, which is mm-hmm. kind of the priority of um, liveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ethereum doesn't go down. It can be delayed, but it does not go down in the same way that other chains go down that when, when they prioritize um, safety with proof mm-hmm. of stake. So David, let's take a peek at client. Diver- I didn't know there's an entire page about this, but client oh, there's, diversity. A, there's dot an org. entire page about everything in Ethereum. All right. So what are we looking at here? This looks like uh, some charts on mm-hmm. distribution of two types of clients, consensus clients and execution clients. How would you explain this? Uh, yeah. Okay. So two, two kinds of clients. One is consensus clients, AKA beacon chain clients, and then execution, which is, uh, the actual processing of transactions, um, nuance there, but also really important. Uh, consensus clients is the beacon chain. So we got lighthouse, prism, Teku, nimbus, lodestar. These are what we previously called ETH2 clients. Uh, and so lighthouse and prism equally have about 38% followed by Teku with uh, 16% followed by nimbus. And so is Prism and Teku that had the shared bug. And so that's actually one of the unique properties about the, uh, a non-finality event. When a non-finality event happens, you actually know that it is a bug that is shared by multiple clients, which is a serious thing. And that is why this is an event is because there is one bug that multiple clients had. So it showed it, it showed up in Ethereum. If this was just one client and if, say if it was like Nimbus at 6.5% and Nimbus had a catastrophic client that just broke every single node. You wouldn't notice it. Not only would you not notice it, you would still actually get finality because Nimbus is only at 6.5%. Uh, at Lighthouse, uh, if Lighthouse, if all Lighthouse clients went down, you would not achieve finality because it's, it would get to below 66%. Uh, and so because Lighthouse has 38.2% of all nodes, in Lighthouse has enough clients that we would get below that 30, uh, that two-thirds threshold. Um, and so Prism at 37 and Teku had this bug, but Lighthouse and the other clients held the system up. And so this is the importance of client diversity. Uh, and also, again, why when there's one bug in multiple clients, that is when client teams wake up and start fixing the problem immediately, which is what Preston and Terrence and other people across the client teams did think you for your service. Uh, and so, uh, this is just a quick lesson in client diversity. And while, uh, multiple clients had the bug, uh, call it a bug, uh, the rest of the clients kept Ethereum up. So like, think of it like Atlas holding up the world, right? And every single client is an arm and the strength of the arm is related to the share of nodes that they have. How's that for an explanation? Multiple armed Atlas. Yeah, Yeah, Uh totally. And the uh, cool thing is building a new arm is permissionless. So you can always build a new arm because it's... You want to build a new arm? Uh, no, I'd, r- I'd rather talk about people who build arms. Yeah, it seems way harder to actually build an arm. Um, yeah, this a is a take do. from David mm-hmm. Hoffman. Ethereum, in quotes, is a composition of diverse and distributed components, none of which are individually critical to Ethereum. Components can and will fail, but the chain will continue. This downtime non-event illustrates this perfectly. 
Single client systems are weak and fragile. Fast systems cannot hold a distributed set of components since more components require slower systems to maintain consensus. Fast chains minimize components and therefore maximize fragility. I think you are saying here, David, that this event showcases the design decisions that mm -hmm. Ethereum has made, which is to maximize liveness, mm -hmm. to maximize resilience, to not go down at the sacrifice of some other things, mm -hmm. right? Ethereum is not the fastest layer right. one from a chain. transactions per second perspective. Mm -hmm. It is a slow chain. Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me more about this. Yeah, so the, the slowness of Ethereum, the decentralized nature of Ethereum allows for more components, more clients to be a part of the network. And the, the idea here is that Ethereum is designed, intentionally designed, so that under, it, components will fail and Ethereum will continue because Ethereum is not one thing. What is Ethereum is a question, not an answer. And so in, if you go back to the client the uh, client diversity page, like what is Ethereum? Well, it's 38% Lighthouse, it's 37% Prism, it's 16% Teku, and those numbers are in flux. And there can be other nodes that come online or other valid uh, uh, clients that come online. Uh, and so Ethereum as a system just needs a majority of these things to work. And even if a majority of th these things don't work, that actually doesn't take down Ethereum because it only takes down one component of Ethereum, which is finality. That's only the cherry on top of what makes a blockchain a blockchain. And so like these considerations have been deeply considered by the ETH researchers out there. Uh, and so the, the actual fact that this happened and Ethereum didn't stop and then also naturally recovered quickly uh, along with the help of some superstar client teams, uh, it just shows the resiliency of the system at large. This is um, a question from the Bankless Discord from alexrow.eth that I think is relevant here. In light of Ethereum recently, in quotes, breaking, is this too soon? Can you explain <laughs> block reorgs? It sounds like a reorg could cause chaos, but each block produces is susceptible to it for two epochs, I believe. Is this not a huge risk? Can you explain mm -hmm. block reorgs in the context of this? Yeah, so blockchains are a chain of blocks. They go one by one by one. Uh, and sometimes, uh, due to the construction of a blockchain, uh, we pick a new header. And so maybe uh, uh, two or three blocks are added to the chain. And then actually, because of the mechanics of the chain, it goes backwards like three blocks for whatever reason. Um, this happens in Bitcoin every now and then. Like not too long ago, there was like, I think like a 10 Bitcoin block reorg, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe not that much. But the idea is it's possible. And so th the joke here is that like, Everyone was freaking out about Ethereum not having finality for like over a little bit over an hour. Do you know when the last time Bitcoin has had finality, Brian? No, I don't. 13 years ago. Because Bitcoin doesn't get <laughs> Bitcoin doesn't get finality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't get like deterministic. Of it doesn't finality. get deterministic it's like finality. Economic right. weight, probabilistic uh, right. finality, of course. Right. Is, so like rolling back the Bitcoin blockchain back to this block zero. costs a lot of money is technically possible and within the rules of the Bitcoin system, it just costs a lot. Uh, Ethereum, because of the innovations of proof of stake, achieves finality in six minutes. And then it, if you want to go backwards in time more than six minutes, it takes, you, you are provably going to slash two thirds of all staked ether. Uh, in the event of non-finality, this is when there is susceptibility to block reorgs. And so that is the risk here. That is this is why this is important because we are no longer having our massive wall of capital slashing to protect a reorg event. Uh, and so uh, while there are other penalties, there's not like the big penalty. So it is a risk. And this is why like 
uh, when when Preston and others saw the Ethereum mainnet wasn't having finality, that like they didn't just say, oh, okay, we'll just wait. Like, no, they got up and fixed the problem. Um, but that's because Ethereum has a culture of maximum security. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, the, the risk for a reorg doesn't just, it, there's more and more nuances I think, there. I think one, one other thing I would say is sometimes it can sound like without Terrence and um, Preston waking up or client teams waking up and fixing the problem that Ethereum would never have finalized. It still would have finalized. It still would have finalized. Like yeah. that's the point. What would have happened right. is these client, this client distribution would have changed. A whole mm-hmm. bunch of like client uh, val- validators would have switched over to Lighthouse right. and the network would have rolled on. So this is not a case where this was reliant on the client right. devs to like, Pop mm-hmm. up in the in the middle of their day and like wake up from their like naps. Preston was literally almost going like for a nap at the time, and like fix it. It would have resolved itself as well. Right. They just restored the resilience back to the network. They they did it faster. So when parts when parts of Ethereum are not doing their job, they get penalized. Um, there's like producing an invalid block, and then you get slashed, and that's the big one. But if you're not also doing your job, you get penalized in a minor way. And the idea is like as soon as, and this is actually did start to happen, uh, when there's in not when there isn't finality for enough amount of time, the sources of non-finality start to get penalized marginally, yep. and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more, and then eventually they get penalized so much that the actual the network starts to return to consensus because the people that are producing helping produce finality are not getting penalized, and so the the system is naturally finding an equilibrium because that is what a good crypto economic system does. Uh, yep. There's be- a much better explanation if you just listen to the podcast. There with it is. It's right here. It's right here, yeah. guys. If you yeah. want to use this uh, apathy market to level up on yes. your Ethereum knowledge, this is a good time to do that. Um, David, speaking of level ups, mm-hmm. Ledger Recover. All right. Was this a level up for Ledger or was this a, a big mistake? Um, mm. The question on people's minds is, is Ledger safe this week? That That is the hardware device that we're talking about. And give us the context for this because it all started when Ledger decided to announce a new product called Ledger Recover. Take us there. So Ledger introduced a new product called Ledger Recover, which lets you recover your seed phrase using your ID, which for the normies of the world was probably they're like, nice, great, love that. That's what I'm used to. Uh, if If my bank account, like I can't access it, I'll just show them my ID and they let me in. That's That's normal. For the crypto hardliners out there, you understand the risks associated with that. That has new risk assumptions that triggered a lot of the crypto in the uh, shivers up the- your spine when exactly. you see this. Exactly. Yes. Right. Like we don't want nation state IDs to be our recovery process. So the way so the way that this works is that you subscribe to this Ledger Recover through the Ledger Live app. You go in through the and make an account and then go through the ID verification process on your device. After pin verification, you will ask what list initiate a recover backup process. So you ask your own device, like your device asks you, hey, do you want to do this thing? And you're like, yes. Um, so after you consent to that, the ledger takes your seed phrase that's inside of the ledger, shards it into three, encrypts it, and then sends it outbound to these three custodians of your sharded private key. One is ledger, two are uh, alternative custodians in different parts of the world. And then these are the people that you go show your ID to, to in order to get your seed phrase back. So it is a way to, um, if you if you lose your seed phrase, use your ledger, your nation state ID can get you your seed phrase back. Make Again, makes sense to a lot of people. Uh, and so that is kind of this new product that I think will make sense to a lot of people who are not in crypto. Um, I think prescient bankless listeners can understand where 
uh, people started to get concerned. The idea here is that people, including myself, uh, always assumed that your private key cannot leave your hardware wallet because that's the point. Uh, and so I'll never mind the fact that it's sharded and then encrypted and then sent into three different spots, which is probably a very secure way to do this. The fact that it can do it at all is new information for a lot of people. And so that's if you the can, idea, that's the, the idea, the idea of software being able mm-hmm. to pull out your seed phrase, pull out your private keys right. is just like, um, very concerning mm-hmm. because that and, is the point of a hardware wallet. You don't right. want anyone to be able to pull out those, those uh, private keys without, without you knowing about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the idea is like, okay, well, if you can do it securely, you, what's stopping you from doing it insecurely? Uh, and so this is like, you, okay, you can shard it, encrypt it, but you can also just do it in plain text. And that is theoretically possible. The fact that it's theoretically possible is like the new information. So people on Twitter got very upset because this is like a perceived rug by Ledger. Uh, and then also, I'm going to add on that Ledger comms was not the most, not the greatest about this. So here's a tweet that people really didn't like, which was, technically speaking, it is and always has been possible to write firmware that facilitates key extraction. You have always trusted Ledger not to deploy firmware, whether you knew it or not. Technically the truth, but <laughs> oof, as a PR statement, oof. Well, you, you say oof, but this is the this is the actual truth. So so just describing, like mm-hmm. you have to opt into the ledger recover service. Yeah. Like, of course. Right. Right. And so um you but and you also have to opt into a new upgrade of the ledger firmware. New firmware. Right. Which if you have ledger, a, a mm-hmm. ledger device of any kind, you probably have already done not only once, but multiple times in the past to get security updates, to get new feature unlocks, that sort of thing. So you have to do that. And lastly, you actually have to click a button on your Mm -hmm. ledger device. Give like in-person consent Mm -hmm. anytime a seed phrase or the private keys are actually leaving the hardware wallet. So Mm -hmm. there's kind of like three steps here, right? And most people will not do the recover service, right? That's kind of a total trust ledger thing. Most people will also want to continue to upgrade their firmware, all right? Right. But there is this like fallback of unless you physically put in your PIN number in the Mm -hmm. ledger interface and click the check mark button, Mm -hmm. it will not send your seed phrase externally from the wallet. Right. It, I I think that's an important consideration here in right. this in this this whole kind of mess. But and yet still people are uncomfortable with the idea that a firmware upgrade um right. can maybe put in an errant message or something mm-hmm. or could somehow well, the idea is that we are now, people are now realizing that we are one firmware upgrade away from a key extraction type of yes. firmware. That in, a, right. in the worst case scenario, you just approve any transaction. And because it was a malicious firmware upgrade from who knows where, that a fake ne- transaction. The next just, time you you press the checkmark button, that you're yes. sending your private keys outbound. Right? That's so right. that's, that's, people thought that that was not possible, but it, it is, turns out to be possible. And now, because we are in mob season on Twitter, uh, Ledger has been absolutely mobbed by this. And so this is now just talking about like the social drama. Uh, Should we go to this tweet, David? Is it, this yeah, is a yeah. video, and I actually, this this Twitter user has me blocked, so I have to open which it is, in another process. Which is hilarious. <laughs> Hold on. Ooh, ooh, that is a Ledger 
being hit with a hammer. Ooh, ooh, it's broken. <laughs> wow, that's ooh, what it dead. looks like inside. Ooh, oh, it's in a and fire pit. In a now. fire pit. It's going in a fire pit. Oh, we got a blowtorch. Oh, blowtorch. Oh, we got a guy blowtorching a ledger. Oh, that thing is, that ledger is, uh. <laughs> it is toasty. Oh, that ledger's dead. Bye bye, seed phrase. Wow. Yeah. Well done on the toast job, though. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we okay, I get it. I get it, Ryan. We can stop. <laughs> I hope that is, I hope it, that guy backed the, up his seed phrase. <laughs> are, are people, uh, you know, doing other things with this? This is the only one I saw about it, and I actually I saw it linked in Discord or someone. Like, are people yeah. like putting it in blenders and running over it with their cars, and you know, the typical. Let, let's go on. We'll, we'll talk do. about this at the end. Let's go to the next. We have we have <laughs> to go right. through the Twitter mob part of this agenda, and then we'll go. All to right. And get, all right. Get all right. So here here's another tweet from uh, Fubar. Let's Fubar. Uh, let's read this. Stop using Ledger hardware wallets. Migrate away from them immediately. They've shown nothing but gross incompetence and wild misunderstanding of their own purpose, and now they've publicly admitted intentionally backdooring their own proprietary so uh, hardware. Stop using Ledger. Ooh, big words. Intentionally big, big backdooring words. their proprietary hardware. Oof. That's interesting. Okay. Oof. Okay. Keep going. Okay. Uh, so these t these tweets are in order from most extreme most? to to, okay. to more more reasonable. So now we're starting to get into the more reasonable side. Here's Munit Gupta who said. Ledger just released a new update for Nano X that allows social recovery of your seed phrase. It encrypts your seed into three shards, sends it to different entities, and then it can reconstruct your seed from your post ID verification. It's a horrendous idea. Do not enable this feature. Now, that is a take that is talking about how you actually have the option to not do this, which, again, understand yep. is only half the issue, but you can, you can opt out of this. Let's go to the last take of this whole series, which I think is the most reasonable take, which is Haseeb, which of all the people drawing a, a big hubbub on Twitter was actually helpful here. Uh, and so he goes, yesterday I freaked out about the revelation that Ledger could spit out your private key with a firmware update. Yet I noticed the smartest people were not freaking out. Was I missing something? I spent the evening educating myself and now I'm in the nevermind is fine camp. So he, then he continues and goes, my initial mental model is I thought Ledger secure enclave was like Apple secure enclave, a box that has private key lines in which I can only sign things, but the keys can never leave the device, but it's not. Firmware can exfiltrate the private key. Oh, God. And then he finishes and says, this take is actually nonsensical. This cannot be how it works because ledgers upgrade. Most people's instincts are like, wait, why even? I don't want my hardware to wallet to ever upgrade. But ledgers upgrade to support evolving blockchains. Ethereum now uh, requires BLS signatures. There's Solana, Near, Aptos, all this new stuff, new signing algorithms, new key derivations, all this fanciness. Aside from Bitcoin, every single blockchain evolves. And so the point here is that the secure enclave in your ledger has always actually been software. It is a mm -hmm. hardware wallet, but there is software inside that secure enclave. And the point that you said earlier that everything actually doesn't necessarily fall back to the ledger hardware wallet, but it does fall back to you pressing approve. That is the actual remaining part of the ledger that is the hardware of you hitting that approve button, not the secure enclave itself. And so this is the new reality that by the way, has always been the reality. And if we as an industry were more informed about this, there wouldn't be this that's uh, the mob security attack, posture. That's the security posture you've always accepted yes. when you've purchased a ledger device to hold mm -hmm. your private keys. And some people are just now aware of that. Right. Yes. And so uh, are we, is this where we get into our takes? Okay. Are we, are we ready for... Uh, so this has been like the um, us doing a, trying to do an objective job of reporting it. I'm ready to give. Yeah, and I will say uh, we we talked to you, um, Charles, the mm -hmm. chief security officer on Bankless. Um, mm -hmm. I think uh, if you're interested in, in hearing from at least the ledger side, 
how this works and what went on, you can listen to that uh, episode. We um, tried to be as objective as possible, mm-hmm. but I think people come to the roll up for uh, for some takes too. Yeah, and I takes. would be interested in hearing your takes. What are your takes on this episode, David? My takes are Ledger did nothing wrong. Um, it was the crypto industry's collective misunderstanding as to how a hardware wallet works. Here, here's all of the blame that I will place on Ledger. There is the narrative and the marketing that your private key cannot leave your hardware wallet. And there's two different ways to interpret that. There's it can't leave the hardware wallet because the firmware up to this point has not allowed it. And then there's the it can't leave the hardware wallet because the hardware doesn't allow it. Maybe Ledger benefited by that gray area and meant the software version, but uh, but got the benefits of the hardware version. Maybe that's the risk. And that has been their comms mishap for years now of advertising, maybe being able to double dip and say, like, the hardware wallet will not allow your private keys to leave the wallet but not saying that that's because of the software, the firmware yes. that we upgrade. And so it maybe that, that is their, that is their, it wasn't clear. That's the, that's their bad. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ledger is frustrated because they've been here in crypto helping people go bankless this entire time. And now Ledger, Ledger is being canceled from what appears for them to be like no good reason. Like you guys install firmware updates. You, there's the trust model is completely the same as it's always been. And y'all are just like learning about this for the first time. And so I think that coming to that conclusion has actually not been that hard. And so now my final take, Ryan, is I am actually disappointed in the people who have taken the opportunity to jump into mob mentality about this and cancel culture so quickly and make viral videos of them smashing their ledgers with a hammer and a blowtorch <laughs> just because they know they're going to get a bunch of likes because it is currently in vogue to cancel ledger. So that is my set of takes. Jeez, that take is going to be pretty damn unpopular this week david oh, i think i think the we've mob already menta- had a the mob week, mentality is coming what after me next to us? come at me <laughs> that's what i believe ledger I, did I, nothing wrong i think that um you, you say nothing wrong is your summary and yet you also said they did something wrong in their they, they could have done marketing. something better all right well, uh, but i understand the is, error this is where i come down on things and um i think i largely agree with what you said but i want to put a fine uh, point on on what you said. So this is this is also from Foodbar. This is a tweet from Ledger from November fifteenth, twenty twenty two. Hi, from Ledger, the Ledger account. Your private keys never leave the secure element mm. chip, which has never been hacked. The secure element is third party certified and is the same technology as used in passports and credit cards. A firmware update cannot extract the private keys from the secure element. A firmware update cannot extract the private keys from the secure element. Okay, here's what I'm saying, David. Mm-hmm. I think that is technically true from what I understand, unless you hit the approve button, okay? Yes. So you could read this tweet and be like, yes. However, by not making it emphatically clear right. that you are still a, f- a nefarious firmware, firmware update from Ledger away, from Ledger, you're trusting them to not snatch your private keys. I think that there's a little bit of an omission there, or at least a little bit of a communication mishap. So that's what I'll say. The other thing I'll say, David, is I actually think um, this could have happened no matter what they did from the comm side of things, right? It was just the time in the universe where we decide to take a week and completely torch uh, Ledger, all right? It's Mm -hmm. like, I get that. Now, what they can do in terms of moving the industry forward is they can choose to open source their firmware, elements of their firmware. So Mm -hmm. let's take this, 
yes, the uh, the reaction was um, probably extreme. Yes, there's a lot of people who who didn't know. Uh, yes, this was Ledger's misunderstanding in their target market, and like, well, you just pissed off your core like like group mm-hmm. through this comms. Yes, all of those things. And now, what? How do we move forward? I would be supportive and call on Ledger to open source as much of their firmware as possible, or to explain if there's pieces why they can't open source it. Explain why. I think that could be the path forward because um, that's the best that that we can really do. So, what do I plan to do here? I'm not like going and torching my, you know, any ledger device I own. Um, I plan to continue to use it, but I've also always had redundancy, different mm-hmm. setups. Like, don't just depend on one provider. Have Ledger, get a Trezor if you want. Grid Plus is a, a fantastic hardware wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had them on the podcast before. And I think they do a fantastic job on this. Still, even with Grid, David, yep. you're still one firmware update yep. from being screwed by Grid Plus. All mm-hmm. right. But if we have redundancy here, um, one thing that Grid Plus, I believe, is doing is open sourcing, moving to open source more of their firmware in, in Q3. I think that's a positive step. It's good pressure in the industry to do it. Uh, I also think, let's zoom out, big picture, okay? Seed phrases do kind of suck. Yeah. They kind of suck. They and Ledger suck. was trying to make that less sucky for normies. That is a noble effort. We want more people on the bankless journey. Uh, we don't just want to be like the, the crypto gold bugs here. And so we got smart contract wallets. We have MPC technology. That, to me, is the way forward. So I also think that Ledger made some mistakes, but I agree with you. It's not like, I don't know why we're choosing this week to cancel Ledger yeah. so hard. Like, just yeah. learn from it and then use whatever security posture yeah. uh, you prefer for your private keys. I've got, a, I've got a take for you, Ryan, and it actually ties these two stories together. These two stories being uh, Ethereum's client, multi-client uh, design philosophy and Gnosis Safe. Uh, and so Martin Koppelman says, uh, whatever wallet you are using that actually holds your keys, it's never a bad I- idea to use at least two different ones and combine them into a safe. And so I retweet hey. this and I say, this is the same philosophy as Ethereum's multi-client design strategy. If one client fails, you have redundancy with orthogonal alternatives. The overlapping risk space of multiple strategies becomes minuscule. Okay, so yep. so you got a ledger, you got a, uh, a, a, a lattice, a grid plus lattice, and so you also have a MetaMask. And you do a two of three, and if Ledger rugs you, it doesn't matter because you need Grid Plus and MetaMask to access your Gnosis safe. Say MetaMask rugs. Well, you got your Grid Plus, like two of three. And so this is the same security philosophy that is how Ethereum multi-client design works. But since we have smart contracts and multi-sigs, which is a completely different uh, realm, we actually can completely mitigate any risk whatsoever. So once again, solved by smart contracts. I agree. And that's just a very sensible reaction and security posture. Mm-hmm. I will say though. Oh, wait, I shouldn't, Please God. I shouldn't burn my, my ledgers. No, you shouldn't. Oh, but, okay. but, but even in that, David, like smart contract risk on the safe wallet. Do you know what I mean? Like but, you're not okay, going to get out of risk, risk And we're going West and the crypto is risky that's and, right. and then we're on the frontier at this that's point. Right. Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, I think that the moment I'll start to get concerned about this is if I hear of a firmware update that's been pushed mm-hmm. and someone gets maliciously hacked, right? Yes. So this is far, why all I of this never has been install firmware updates first. I always let other people go <laughs> first. first. That's a great security <laughs> let trick. Let others go first. <laughs> yeah. Let others go first. Right. Um, all right. Enough of that. So let's get to uh, the SEC this week and mm-hmm. more grilling of Gary Gensler, I guess. Mm-hmm. This is big, though. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely massive. This happened late last week. Um, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has just filed a brief in the Coinbase versus SEC case calling out the SEC for acting unlawfully in the digital Ooh. asset space. Love those this words. is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, not the Chamber of Digital Commerce. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce represents all U.S. businesses in the United States. They have a massive presence in D.C. Meta Lawman says this is a big deal. He says the U.S. Chamber is highly influential and they represent companies across all industries, not just the U.S. And the brief opens with this. As it stands today, nobody knows for certain which digital assets, if any, are securities under federal law. Could not have put it better ourselves on a weekly roll-up. I think this is a big vote of confidence for Mm -hmm. Coinbase in what they're asking for from the SEC. It continues and makes three big points. Regulatory uncertainty is killing innovation in the U.S. The SEC is destabilizing the digital assets regulatory environment, and the SEC is violating constitutional due process and fair notice rights. Basically, the chamber is declaring the SEC actions are not just harmful policy. They are unlawful. They're not just bad, they're illegal, uh, which is great. <laughs> the, the court will give these arguments advanced by the U.S. Chamber of Commons serious attention. Uh, and like Ryan said, this is the largest, most influential business organization in the U.S. has just declared that it stands with crypto. Represents the interests of more than 3 million businesses and organizations throughout the country, from small businesses to global corporations. Dope. I love that. These are great Did words. Did you see, so so David, this, this uh, same week, SEC just responded to Coinbase's petition. And, and yeah. you recall that that petition we were talking about a week right. or two ago, where Coinbase was asking the court to require the SEC to respond just yes or no, just yes or a no. simple yes or no, to whether it will undertake rulemaking for our industry. That's all they had to do was respond yes or no. You know what they responded with, David? Uh, oh boy, here you tell me. 36 pages of legalese. I skimmed this. It just amounts to we don't have to if we don't want to. That is my wow. non-legal summary of this thing. This is what Paul Graywall, uh, chief of legal at Coinbase, said. Today, the SEC's responded to Coinbase's petition, uh, petition asking the court to require SEC to respond just yes or no. The SEC's answer, a resounding maybe. Uh, resounding go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Sorry for that's the what language. they said. So, David, maybe that was why Gary Gensler was so defensive this week when asked at a financial conference whether the SEC has provided sufficient clarity to crypto. Here's what he said. Okay, can you comment at all on the dispute with Coinbase about uh, rules on crypto? And why doesn't the SEC want to publish rules for that market? Because, Tom, the rules have already been published. And to make it (laughs) quite uh, uh, direct... This is a a field that has been operating largely non-compliant. Our agency has uh, put out rules about what it is to be an exchange, what it means to be a broker-dealer, what it means to be an advisor or custody assets, and how to register a securities offering. Those rules are in existence, and there's nothing about a new technology that makes it non uh, he goes on. I'm sick of hearing this, but basically Gary's I've saying the rules are already clear, right? Yeah. And again, yeah. on the back of this, he's doubling down on that. Well, the Chamber of Commerce said that he's being illegal by doing that. 
I like that he's in this situation right now, David. Yeah, so here's Miles Jennings from A16Z, lawyer, lawyer at A16Z. SEC, come in and register. Coinbase, we'd like to register. SEC, you're not allowed. Coinbase, why not? SEC, the rules are clear. Coinbase, the rules don't make sense. SEC, the rules are the rules. Can they be adapted? Yes, but we don't like your industry. But you've adapted rules before. No, we haven't. You approved our IPO. No, we didn't. Yes, you did. We're going to sue you. For what? Wouldn't you like to know? Yes. Too bad. You should have registered. <laughs> but we would like to register. I bet you do. Can you tell us how? No. That is exactly what happened. Wow. That's a really how long tweet. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's very good, though. All right, David, what do we have coming up next? Meanwhile, while crypto's eating itself and Gary Gensler's hot seat gets even hotter, Nike has built the most legit Web3 metaverse platform ever. WorldCoin's coming to optimism. Sam Altman testified before Congress and urged lawmakers to regulate AI. Bitcoin or Dogecoin, it's the same picture. So much to talk about. But first, a moment to talk about these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible, especially MetaMask, who's helping you learn about all the jargon that Ryan and I don't have time to explain on the podcast. Sorry about it. But if you want to go learn all that jargon, there's a link in the show notes to so go check out MetaMask Learn. Learning about crypto is hard. Until now. Introducing MetaMask Learn, an open educational platform about crypto, Web3, self-custody, wallet management, and all the other topics needed to onboard people into this crazy world of crypto. MetaMask Learn is an interactive platform with each lesson offering a simulation for the task at hand, giving you actual practical experience for navigating Web3. The purpose of MetaMask Learn is to teach people the basics of self-custody and wallet security in a safe environment. And while MetaMask Learn always takes the time to define Web3 specific vocabulary, it is still a jargon-free experience for the crypto curious user. Friendly, not scary. MetaMask Learn is available in 10 languages with more to be added soon, and it's meant to cater to a global Web3 audience. So are you tired of having to explain crypto concepts to your friends? Go to learn.metamask.io and add MetaMask Learn to your guides to get onboarded into the world of Web3. Mantle is a brand new high-performance Ethereum Layer 2 network built differently from the other Layer 2s you may be familiar with. Mantle is a modular Layer 2 built on the OP stack but uses Eigenlayer's data availability solution instead of the expensive Ethereum Layer 1. Not only does this reduce Mantle's gas fees by 80% compared to other Layer 2s, but it also reduces gas fee volatility. Mantle has a decentralized sequencer set, eliminating the risk of downtime and censorship on the network. And because Mantle implements multi-party computation nodes, layer one settlement execution is shortened from seven days to as low as just one or two. Mantle is the first layer two built by a DAO and is backed by one of the biggest DAO treasuries in the world, BitDAO. Mantle already has sub-communities from around Web3 onboarded to help the growth of Mantle, like Game7 for Web3 gaming, or EduDAO for the world of DeSci, and Bybit for TVL, liquidity, and on-ramps. Check out Mantle at mantle.xyz and follow them on Twitter at 0xmantle. Nike's dot swoosh platform is a brand new platform that Nike is rolling out to consumers. Not, not for us. This is not for us. So don't judge it because it's not for us. And if you're not a Nike, Nike, if you're not a sneakerhead, this might not be for you, but it's a dot swoosh platform kind of, I think it's, I think it's an allusion to dot ETH, but dot swoosh is the home of Nike virtual creations and community hub for dot swoosh members. So they are creating like kind of like loot boxes, um, boxes of merch, virtual merch. Uh, so they have their OF1, our force, instead of Air Force, you know, Air Force Ones, but our force, yep. so OF1, collection of Nike virtual creations inside of an OF1 box. So OF1 create collection starts with each OF1 box, comes in two forms, classic remix or new wave, 
Classic remix mix boxes contains an Air Force One inspired by Air Force One collections from 1982 to 2006. Again, these are NFTs, or are these are these are NFTs. Products? These are well, okay. I mean, these are digital collectibles, actually. Yes, virtual um, though. Virtual, not, virtual. Yes. Not sending a box with yes. sneakers to my house. But I think if if you are a sneakerhead who's collecting Air Force Ones from 1982 to 2006, you know exactly what they're talking about. The new wave box features a brand new next generation reaching Air Force One that takes inspiration from 2007 to the present and even into the future. Scattered across both boxes are co-created Air Force Ones from our year Your Force One winners. These are all, so this is like a digital scavenger hunt collection for sneakerheads who like to collect and- They, not only that, but they have a swoosh ID, which secures your place in the dot swoosh community where you can meet members, collect virtual colle- uh, cl- uh, collections, get exclusive access to physical and, and virtual collections. And then you can also co-create with Nike. Uh, and so the what are collections? They are sneakers, apparel, accessories, other collectibles that you can use in games or other immersive experiences. Some Nike virtual creations will unlock benefits for you in the physical world, such as in real life products and exclusive events. Wow. Okay. So no if, mention of an NFT though. Yeah. Which and, is which is kind of cool. And so you get a wall. You will get a wallet. They won't call it a wallet. You will have your wallet custodied by BitGo, which is t- fine for this use case. Don't cancel Nike, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> and the thing is, like, you will buy these things with a credit card, and you will buy digital assets with a credit card. Guess on what blockchain, Ryan? Hmm. It's not going to be on Ethereum. I know not this. Gas prices are not too high Ethereum. for this use case. Tell me. Polygon. On the Polygon blockchain. Where else would it be? I mean, they're getting the, the big ones could've, It could have been flow. It could have been flow. When I was it looking at this, I was flow. like, oh, is this going to be flow? <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So, And the good news about Polygon is, of course, it has a, a future direction to mm-hmm. become uh, an Ethereum layer too yeah, as well. And you, uh, can, you can take that asset and put it back on Ethereum if you want to. Speaking of layer twos, David, what's mm. happening in the optimism ecosystem? Optimism is getting its bedrock update. So bedrock is coming down on June sixth. Ooh, that's D Day. <laughs> Never mind. An upgrade <laughs> that will require two to four hours of downtime for OP mainnet. Once upon a time, I was a World War II history buff. Uh, okay, so uh, bedrock will bring a fifty percent reduction in protocol fees. So uh, optimism fees are getting cut in half. It's also going to make it easier to contribute to client diversity. So the OP stack getting an upgrade, uh, improve the security and resilience of the OP mainnet bridge, uh, will increase the minimum diff between OP mainnet and Ethereum, that, e- that Ethereum equivalence that we know and love, and also sets the stage for the super chain to enable more and more OP chains. So that world, that super chain, that all those OP chains, every time you hear the world, hey, this is an OP chain or built on the OP stack, helps that thing become a little bit more composed. Uh, so this is the first major protocol to Optimism to be voted on and approved by Optimism's uh, token house. Uh, interestingly, this will require two to four hours of dy- downtime for OP mainnet, which is actually, I think I haven't seen that before for a layer two, actually going down to start back hmm. up again. Um, I'm sure that's going to cause some drama when that day comes. And zooming out, this is Plenia speaking about, I think, Ethereum's modular scalability strategy Mm -hmm. a standard chain one like ethereum that's 1x a fast chain i would assume that's a monolithic chain like a solana 10x fractal scaling 10,000 x this is why fast chains have only offered variations on the apps described nine years ago in the ethereum white paper to explore the next frontier at scale on chain games we need fractal scaling 
with thousands of chains. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of alluding to what optimism is doing with, with bedrock and the idea of a layer three uh, types of chains. Yeah. Yeah. I think the whole idea of like, Hey, we're going to scale by juicing up our monolithic chain in the future. That will just be an anachronism as in, it'll just be like, Hey, remember when like the crypto industry tried to scale with layer one chains that were juiced? Like eventually uh, we're watching layer twos get faster. We're watching the super chain gets composed. And so the super chain fractal scaling, hyperscaling, these are all the same terms. All the same. same thing. Yeah. And so like, we're going to watch and it's just going to blow people's minds about how fast these things can actually get. It's just going to take some more time to get there. David, how come we've never talked about this? I didn't know you were a World War II buff, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So am I. Yeah. Oh, I know. I have read so many freaking books. What's your favorite World War II book? Uh, There's a book uh, called D-Day. Yeah, I remember that one. It's been a while. It's it's been like 10 years since I've been sort of like deep Mm -hmm. into it. Mm -hmm. Um, We should compare our collections. Uh, uh, Mine's Band of Brothers. History history podcast? You you down? (laughs) We do like a World War II history okay. podcast. You do a history podcast. Forget the food I'll thing. do a I'll do a food podcast. <laughs> It'll be great. All right. Uh, tell me about WorldCoin. What are they doing? Uh, it's coming to Optimism Mainnet. So actually not an OP stack, although I think they have uh, expressed plans to make an OP stack in the future. For now, WorldCoin- what, what do you mean by that? They're using Optimism, uh, Optimism the, uh, the code. WorldCoin, yes. Uh, yes. And so they will use the OP Mainnet for WorldCoin, the coin. Uh, I think they also might use it for World ID. Uh, eventually, uh, I did a we did a podcast. I did a podcast actually. You weren't there uh, with um, Sam Altman and Alex Blania from Worldcoin about the Worldcoin vision. Um, I'm seeing a lot of Worldcoin chatter start to heat up, so I think this is going to be um, a reoccurring conversation throughout the Twitter sphere. Uh, eventually, they will have their own OP stack chain. For now, they are putting their infrastructure on OP mainnet. More Sam Altman in this agenda too. Um, before we get there, though, Lido they just released withdrawals, I believe. That's right. Uh, Lido V2 enabled withdrawals, a bunch of other upgrades as well, along with a router. Um, I couldn't find uh, very many stats. Uh, I think there, there were some big withdrawals from Lido, but that's what you would expect. Uh, and they were very temporary mm-hmm. and very short-lived. Um, the tug of war in the side of the meta cosm- the smaller microcosm of Lido is TBD. Um, I think Lido's going to be doing just fine. You know what's really cool, too, is uh, the increasing amount of PayPal and Venmo support, at least in the U.S., for uh, crypto. Um, this is integration of PayPal and MetaMask, where you can just buy in MetaMask, in your MetaMask wallet, you can just buy crypto using PayPal. Mm-hmm. So you select PayPal, you choose the amounts, you tap it, and you've just purchased some ETH. And this mm-hmm. is also cool. You can also buy and send crypto from PayPal. So you mm-hmm. buy your crypto in PayPal and then send it to MetaMask. This is wow. very big. This goes into the DeFi mullet thesis that we've been talking about so long, mm-hmm. which is like, man, uh, millions, hundreds of millions of users of Venmo and PayPal uh, across the world, and all of them now have a way to onboard directly to a bankless wallet in something yep. like MetaMask. I just think that is uh, absolutely massive and worth celebrating. By the way, I think we're in touch with their team. Yeah, yeah we're talking PayPal, with, to Venmo them today team. about a future podcast episode. Yeah, about, we want to see what they're up to. Uh, the podcast episode is going to be so, so easy. Like, hey, what's your guys' DeFi mullet look like? Yeah. <laughs> do, you think that, <laughs> do, you think gonna, do you think they're going to understand that question? Well, that'll be the screener. They don't yeah. come on the podcast unless they understand like, that question. Okay, so here's something that happened pretty cool. This is a tweet from uh, Zach XBT. Uh, he tweeted out, like, wow, both pump and dump meme coins, Nyan meme coin and grumpy cat coin were sent cease and desist letters on chain. So a, <laughs> a cease and desist letter was turned into a JPEG. 
an NFT and sent them to the to the uh, to the deployer address for these pump and dump coins from law firms. Uh, does that work? Does that work? Can, does that know. count as a cease and desist letter? I don't know. Have you received that letter if it's on chain and posted publicly? I, I don't. It's on It's on the blockchain, bro. They you, do call it a wallet. I mean, I send yeah. it to your wallet. I send it to your like address. I send it I, to your vault. This, is this legally valid? It's I, in your custody. If well, yeah, but I get you, spam tokens sent to me all the, all the time. Doesn't mean I look at those. There's yeah, a difference so when think, like no one tweets at me about my spam tokens. They definitely got tweeted about this well, because this is what this tweet is. If I put a cease and desist in your mailbox and I mm-hmm. leave it in your mailbox, but you never open your mailbox, have you received it or not? Mm, that's a big I think it's question. equivalent. The, so the, this, <laughs> the cease and desist letter starts with May 17th, 2023, Kia Carmen, attorney at law, to the persons with wallet addresses listed below and all collectors. Attention, 0XDAE2D95, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> so like attention wallet owner. <laughs> uh, that's funny, man. That's funny. Okay, right, are you ready for um, this one, Ryan? I'm going to carry you through yeah, this one. Yeah, what's this? Okay. Say hello to DRC20's tokens on Dogecoin. So Dogecoin oh daily God. transaction volume climbed to a hello. lifetime peak after the launch of DRC20 token standard, a new mechanism that allows the issuance of tokens on the Dogecoin blockchain. Six, 650,000 transactions on Dogecoin on Sunday, briefly crossing both Bitcoin and Litecoin transactions um, before following back down. Uh, and so... Ryan, this is hilarious because the next part of this story is a bunch of Doge fundamentalists not being happy about no. that. Yes. And there so, are Doge maximalists out there? Yeah. So so not despite this increased uh, uses of Dogecoin, people in the Dogecoin community have uh, said that this has led to network congestion that moves away Dogecoin's aim of being used as an everyday currency. The DRC20 <laughs> Dogecoin community should stop this shameless hype Wrote one Dogecoin community member on Twitter. Everyone should probably focus on the transactional currency use case, said another. High fees and network congestion are valid concerns for any blockchain that may lead the network to becoming expensive, slow, and for everyday users, dampening adoption plans. Does this sound familiar, Ryan? Oh my God, that's amazing. Are these people serious though? I thought thought Dogecoin was always a parody. Is this actually a serious crypto tribe? I don't know how to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and why DRC20s? I mean, maybe the better question is why not? Of course, there were going to be DRC20s. Or, so we have an ordinals on top of Doge, and now we have two camps inside of Doge. It's like, get your stupid pump and dump tokens out of my extremely serious and legitimate <laughs> global currency. That's a, the Will Smith slap to the face right there. <laughs> Okay, in, uh, more, in uh, more serious news, Mika out of the EU Mika, has passed. They say, Excuse me, they say Mika. Mika has yes. passed. Um, we saw this coming, right? Yeah. Uh, my summary of this is we, we did an episode on it with a bunch of panelists who know a lot more about it than, than you and I do. It's a B minus, they say. And here's a take from one of the pa- pa- panelists uh, that I'll quote. The EU never knows when to stop. This is the big but part. It's like, we got some good B minus legislation. That's good. But the EU never knows when to stop. MICA may be a B minus, but the AMLR and Data Act and DAC8 is with the council. All are bad for crypto. And there's even more coming after that. So any before anyone throws a we're moving to Europe party, they need to consider that things never get better in the EU. The regulation only gets heavier. So that is the fear on the back of this. And before you start celebrating, let's all move to Europe um, because it's better than the U.S. It, it is right now. The U.S. doesn't have any clarity on crypto. 
just look in the pipeline of other things that might be coming down because I don't think the EU is done. That's the uh, what's the opposite of a silver lining? It's the opposite Ooh, of a silver lining. All lead, right, lead lining. Yeah, lead lining. Um, yeah. Speaking of lead linings. <laughs> Do Kwan is set to be released after Montenegro court accepts a 436k bail in local Damn. press. Do Kwan's getting out, David. Yeah. You guys um, going to hang? Yeah. So I'm not too far away uh, from, from Montenegro. Uh, so the capital of uh, Montenegro, Podgorica. God, that's taking me forever to learn how to pronounce, uh, is where bill. he is. That is about an hour away from where I am. So under conditions of bail, Kwan and Terra executive Han Chan John will be under surveillance and pro- prohibited from leaving their apartment. Um, yeah. You, you, you setting up the interview? Would you interview him? Would you talk to him? Right, yeah, sure. I'd interview him. Just yeah. be like, why'd you do this? Like, uh, how has it been? Is that, like, is just, that the um, question I would lead with? Is like, um, I think my first question is, do you feel guilt? Do you feel guilt? Yeah. Are you sorry? Um, yeah, you're sorry. How do, but maybe that's, maybe that's too moralistic. Maybe you should just like, in order to get him to open up, you have to like have the question of like, reflect on the last year and just leave it so open-ended right yeah so he yeah, can sort yeah. of what do you want people get a to, peek what, inside the mind what do you want people to hear yeah because you, <laughs> right, yeah, well, you, you can't corner him he's already cornered um yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's not going to happen but yeah. <laughs> let's talk about uh regulation of a different type that we don't usually talk about but while they're talking about important. crypto regulation in the u.s mm-hmm. really ai regulation is mm-hmm. heating up so what happened this week so Sam Altman had to testify before Congress. Uh, and so we've seen this before. We've seen Web2 employees. We've seen Zuckerberg. We've seen the SBF testify before Congress. Uh, Sam Altman's turn. Uh, and so uh, he actually urged lawmakers to regulate AI in specific ways. Uh, and so he testified before the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Privacy, Technology, and the Law. The hearing touched on the risks that generative AI could pose to society, how it could affect the jobs markets, and why regulations from governments might be needed. There's a useful clip, I think, that we should play. And last, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but I will note that Sam's worst fear, I do not think, is employment. And he never told us um, what his worst fear actually is. And I think it's germane to find out. My worst fears are that we cause significant, we, the field, the technology, the industry, cause significant harm to the world. Uh, I think that could happen in a lot of different ways. It's why we started the company. Um, it's a big part of why I'm here today uh, and why we've been here in the past and we've been able to spend some time with you. I think if this technology goes wrong, it can go quite wrong. Uh, and we want to be vocal about that. We want to work with the government to prevent that from happening. But we, we try to be very clear-eyed about what the downside case is and the work that we have to do to mitigate that. Interesting response. Sam yeah. Altman, of course, he is the CEO of OpenAI, the, the creators mm-hmm. of uh, ChatGPT. What's your take on that response? So I, I did a podcast with him on last Sunday, so six days ago, about WorldCoin, so different subject. Um, prior to this, I really, I think I had an internal bias. I'm, I'm very aware of my biases, I like to say. Um, I had an inter- internal bias. If I really wanted to not like... Sam Altman. Um, Why? Just um, like kind of reptile, tech bro, reptile, Zuckerberg. A, a little vibe. bit of that. A little bit right. of uh, we came out of the Eliezer uh, podcast being like, oh man, this is going to take us over, over the world. And then it's irresponsible for other CEOs of AI companies who are falling victim to the Moloch trap, who are, who are accelerating this thing. So they are being irresponsible. Um, and so, and then I like, I listened to him answer Lex Friedman's question about AI alignment. And I thought that he just, man, he just deflected the hell out of that one. Uh, he, he asked, he asked, uh, questions in return. It was like, well, what do you right. think? Yeah. It's like, and so I'm like, man, Sam, uh, 
bro, look what's about to happen here. And that, and mm-hmm. lately I have seen him, um, in, in addition to the podcast and kind of seeing the human there, uh, I think I've seen him to, to tackle this alignment problem head on. Uh, and I think the CEO leaders of these AI companies are also going to be the very likely solvers of AI alignment, if anyone. Uh, and so I think I'm cautiously optimistic that Sam Altman is not just a good guy, but a potential, God, I hate to say this word, hero in the fight of AI alignment. I'm, that is my optimistic, rosy colored glasses scenario. Plenty of other scenarios can play out, but I am hoping the best in Sam Altman and I'm starting to be okay with depositing um, some trust there. I think his name will be um, front and center, will become a yes. household name if it, if it hasn't already. That's how important this is. Mm-hmm. I, uh, it always makes me uncomfortable, David, to be put in the situation of having to trust heroes and having yeah. to trust people. I will say that. And I think it's probably the case that we may never know what Sam Altman's uh, intentions really actually is. are. Yeah. We'll have to judge it by his actions. I mean, there is a more nefarious like case you could make, which is just, um, yeah, I'm going to put on this face in front of Congress and regulators and say, come in and regulate me in order to like establish and entrench mm-hmm. my own sort of power so I can help shape the regulations. Like um, there's like, Remember SBF was doing a little bit of yeah. this. Do you know what I mean? You just don't really know is the thing. And I and he could be an incredible person. I have mm-hmm. no idea. He could also be an SBF. We also mm-hmm. have no idea. And it's, it's just, I know. hate that we have to trust. I hate that we have uh, to but trust. But I don't yeah. think we do. I, th- I think we need to find ways to sort of verify and uh, find other ways rather than relying on, on the human beings in this ecosystem kind of um, mm-hmm. put AI in the right direction. But interesting nonetheless more to come, I'm sure, on that. David, uh, what do we got coming up next? Coming up next, we got questions from the nation. We got three of them this week. I think there's some great questions. Uh, and then some pictures. We're going to look at some pictures because that is going to be some both some takes of the weeks and uh, what Ryan and I are excited about. And there is also a moment of zen for the YouTube people. It is a video-only moment of zen. It is the most impressive of AI artificial generation of image video. Oh my God, it's so cool. You got to go watch it because it's actually really related to what Sam Altman was testifying about. Anyways, all of that's coming up and more as soon as we talk to some of these fantastic sponsors that make this show possible. Hiring people worldwide, paying them in crypto, providing them access to benefits, it all so complex. But it doesn't have to be. Complying with labor laws, payroll rules, tax obligations, and crypto regulations in every country that you employ someone is difficult, time-consuming, manual, and costly. And it's drawing more and more attention from regulators and governments. But there is good news. Toku is here. Toku is the first employment and compensation platform for the crypto industry that makes this easy. Toku helps you hire employees or contractors and pay pay them in fiat or crypto legally, compliantly, and with all the taxes handled in over a hundred different jurisdictions. So whether you're an early stage company with just a team of two, or you're an enterprise with 200, Toku has a solution that meets your needs. Toku is already working with the leading companies in the space, Protocol Labs, Hedera, Gitcoin, and many more. So transform your employment and token payroll operations with Toku. You can reach out to Toku at toku.com bankless, or click the link in the show notes. Arbitrum One is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum One, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum One and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, 
and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Questions from the nation this week. This one from thebigsalad.eth. Man, I love that ENS handle. Uh, would it be possible for Ethereum to use MEV as partial gas refund to users? Would that be possible, David? Uh, so not only is that possible, but that is an explicit strategy that a number of startups are going after right mm. now. Uh, actually, this is a, one of the benefits that I think the Bankless Ventures has because uh, we actually get to learn more about what's going on in the frontier and be educated about the frontier and be able to relay that information here on the podcast. There is a a very decently saturated market of people that are trying to connect the circuit between transaction origination and MEV back to transaction origination. So like trans transaction from the wallet, if you do a DeFi thing, it gets picked up by an MEV searcher bot, which makes another transaction, which goes into a bundler bot, which goes into a block builder, which goes into a block proposer, aka ETH validator, who ultimately connects the MEV. But then there's a possible way where wallets, who ultimately are the originators of transactions, aka the source of MEV, can be paid for their deal, deal order flow, which we generally think of as toxic. But if that deal order payment for deal order flow goes back to the transactors for transacting in the wallet, there is a way where we can connect MEV to people who are making transactions as, yes, a gas refund. So if your transaction produces MEV, your wallet might pay for that in some particular way. And so that is a thing that is being built by a handful of startups in this world. Uh, you know how when you use a credit card, you get like points, hotel points, points or gas same, points same. or discounts back? It's same same, except this could be even better. Yeah, because it's also it could be ETH, but there yes, there could be all sorts of different uh, models on top of this that sure. wallets built. And sure. uh, the 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 cool thing is, crypto can pay you to spend and to transfer to use crypto transactions. Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely coming. All right, here's a second question here about Bitcoin. Bitcoin has a history of legitimate and illegitimate hard forks. The most important being Bitcoin Cash. Well, we remember that. Whose central point? Was the network's block size? Bitcoin won that fight versus Bitcoin Cash based on choosing decentralization as the North Star, keeping one megabyte block size. The question is, if a hard fork is on the menu and thinking that Bitcoin's North Star is decentralization, which option is objectively more decentralized? A chain with or without ordinals? So I guess this is the idea, David, a questioning of whether Bitcoin might fork into mm -hmm. two different options, one chain with ordinals and one chain without ordinals. And the questioner is asking, which is objectively more decentralized? Can you imagine this future and, and help us uh, make sense of this question from Abram CR? Yeah. So I, my Eric, podcast with Eric Wall, who actually is coming on next week with Nick Carter, uh, actually. So we're actually going to talk about some of these things. Eric, Eric Wall and Nick Carter next week. I'm excited about that one. Uh, he made the very strong argument, which I'm on board with, that the ordinals blockchain is the more decentralized blockchain. Um, but I, I kind of want to ask, answer a slightly different question, um, which is, is Bitcoin going to fork? Because there is going, there's a growing civil war happening, a growing division in the tribes of Bitcoin. There's, you have the non-ordinals and ordinolers and then the ordinolers. Oof. Uh, and <laughs> so, uh, that is a new tribe, the new internal tribes of Bitcoin. And now they are fighting for power. And the last time this happened was the Bitcoin cash versus Bitcoin camp. 
And so does this create a division strong enough to fight over a fork of Bitcoin? And my answer to that is I don't think so. I think yeah. this, this is fighting over social power. Who is mm. at the helm of this ship? Can't really mm. steal the ship because it's Bitcoin. But it's who, who is the bigger Bitcoiner and who, who are the bigger Bitcoiners? Who are the bigger, better Bitcoiners? And right now, like um, Bitcoin Media, which runs the uh, Bitcoin 2023 conference, which is going on right now, that that company that's actually it's actually more or less the bankless of, of or yeah the bankless of Bitcoin. They are similar in vibe, uh, very very thesis driven, perhaps very biased. I would call them very biased. They are the <laughs> Bitcoin fundamentalists of okay. the Bitcoin camp, uh, and they are starting to make ordinals content. Uh, in the same Ooh. way that you and I enjoy smart contracts and tokens because they are interesting and a good to make content about and therefore benefits the bankless business model because our business model is content, Bitcoin Media is also finding ordinals as a way to produce content because it's interesting and gets reads and clicks and likes and all that kind of stuff. And also all of the people that I know and trust like Eric Wall and Nick Carter are also like ordinals, good. And so I think ordinals, that's going to win, David. That's going to win in the social air is my prediction. 100%. It's more like people like Ponzi's. We saw this in Bitcoin last <laughs> week. And so I think the, sh- the power, the pendulum power has shifted towards the ordinal people. Yeah, but you know what they're going to want, David? They're really going to want those Ponzi's to um, prop up their bags. Because anything Bitcoiners like is yeah. like number go up for Bitcoin. Yeah. That's funny because that's a mechanism that ethereum has that mm-hmm. bitcoin just doesn't which is right. like okay you have right. a ponzi that's sort of annoying because it's making my transaction fees high mm-hmm. but then we go and we look at ultrasound.money and we're like oh look at all the eth that was mm-hmm. burnt and then eth holders right. are happy again right. well bitcoin ordinalers maybe call them rather than small blockers maybe they're just useful block smart blockers. blockers maybe that's the smart tribe blockers his smart blockers there we got his small blockers versus smart blockers the smart blockers of the the Bitcoin community, don't get that benefit. No. Like, sorry, it's just not as fulfilling, I guess, sorry. if you want number to go up on Bitcoin. But it does pay for security, which is, I mean, marginally, but a non-zero. The amount. public good, yeah, non-zero. Okay, amount. yeah. All right, let's get so, to some takes, David. Here's the first one from you. This looks like a picture, and I think you're mm-hmm. wearing the T-shirt. Tell me about this. Oh yeah, oh, I haven't talked about this yet. I'm gonna look at the T-shirt. I got a T-shirt. David shirt, tornado cash symbol. I helped violate international sanctions and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. His okay, so this, this t-shirt is nothing new under the sun for the people that are inside of the conference circuit, uh, but I haven't gotten one yet. And I would like to say, not only have I violated international sanctions by receiving 0.1 ether from the dusting attack, I also sued the Department of Treasury over it. And so <laughs> this, this t-shirt fits it extra fits well. well. Yeah. Um, and You're so going to be wearing it, that to the congressional hearing, or right? I guess that's the right. Supreme Court case. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, Amin Soleimani, who like made this T-shirt, uh, gave me this T-shirt. And so I thought, I thought, like, oh, of course I'm going to take a picture with Amin. But then I was reflecting on this picture, and um, some people have probably mentioned me mentioned Amin Soleimani. I mentioned him on a pod, handful of podcasts. But I wrote this longer tweet, which I think I kind of solidifies what this picture means to me. Uh, and so I say, this might look like a picture, but to me, it's so much more. Uh, Amin has been a personal hero and mentor to me throughout my uh, Ethereum journey. Without Amin, Ethereum would be all rainbows and unicorns, but no claws or teeth. Amin taught me the importance of thinking adversarially. What's at stake? And at, what's at stake if we do not think that way? He was also my first big guest on my podcast before mm-hmm. Bankless, POV Crypto, back when I was absolutely no one. And I follow up and say, I would not have the balls to sue the Department of Treasury without the knowledge and leadership that Amin has shown this in, uh, this industry. So thank you, Amin, for the lousy T-shirt. I appreciate <laughs> that. Yeah, that's really cool, David. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, heroes in real life here. Um, yeah. Here's here's a take from Xerox Designer. Onboarding the next billion users with words. How the term wallet is psychologically limiting Web3's growth potential, the case for abandoning it. Killing the idea of wallet, David. Rather than connect connect wallet, just connect. Connect. Uh, I don't know if I totally agree with it, but uh, Xerox Designer bringing up some interesting points that maybe the thing we should be calling this thing, the mental model we should be using, is like more like an account. Mm. Because sure, it's a wallet in some cases, but usually when we're talking about finance, right? Mm. Sometimes if you go to the social case, it's a profile or it's an identity. If mm. you go on the, the art case, not really stuffing an art piece in your wallet, are you? It's more like adding it to your collection. If you're in the gaming world, this account is actually like inventory. If right. you're music, it's library. And so maybe we should start reframing this away from wallet and making mm. it more generic, calling this connect, calling right. this an account instead. An interesting point, I think at least. Yeah, I think, I think that makes sense because we always talk about like, oh, the future of the internet is like sign in with Ethereum. So like Facebook account, Spotify account, all of these things that there's a sign in button. It's just an account. Uh, and the idea is that Web3 just replaces Web2. So that makes yeah. sense to me. David, uh, what are you bullish on this week, my friend? I got another picture. Ryan, <laughs> ah, uh, it's, it's us. What's this up? is a picture of us at Permissionless. <laughs> Do you know when? This was uh, the night we had our, our party. Right? Yeah, we yeah, the bankless, bankless party, party yeah, permissionless. Also, one yes. year ago as of today. No way. That was yeah. a year ago as of that today? That was a year ago as of today. Wow, the first time we met yeah. was at this conference, and uh-huh. the only time, I will and add. The only time <laughs> haven't seen you since. It's been a year since I've were seen you, Were you worried bro? that, like, when uh, when we did that, were you like, oh, I, I might not like this guy in real life. Like, what if he's just, like, what if, I don't know, he smells bad. What if the vibes are off <laughs> the or something like this? And so, uh, there, so we, we, you came up to when we met for the first time at the Airbnb, uh, it was like five minutes until we had our company meeting and then, we, uh, we uh, opened up the door, gave you a hug. And then I was like, uh, n- now what? Now what? <laughs> now what? This, <laughs> Do this we continue awkward. the podcast or yeah. not? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank God we had the meeting to like kind of <laughs> get the ball rolling. <laughs> Talk yeah, outside talk. of this uh-huh. format, outside uh-huh. of the screen format. Yeah, that's funny. Exactly. So, I think the first uh, meeting, I think the I'm, first meeting too. We had I had like the laptop in front of me mm-hmm. too, and I, I feel like I was like talking to you through the laptop as well. Right. Or we but had you also you were also screens. like right next to me as well. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't couldn't look away from the laptop. Uh, so I guess I'm bullish on another year. <laughs> yeah. I'll, see in, I'll see you in September. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you in September, man. September at Permissionless. Uh, but the other thing I'm bullish on, slightly related, uh, is we're actually going to have this Twitter space uh, with uh, the Blockworks guys, uh, the other dads. Uh, by the way, for the Bankless listeners out there for who don't know, internally to Bankless, the employees call uh, me and Ryan dads. <laughs> and so... The Blockworks founders, Jason and Mike, are also called dads, apparently. Uh, and so we're having a dads and dads chat uh, ahead of Permissionless, just uh, company media company in Web3 to media company in Web3. That is a Twitter space that's happening on May 31st, I think at, when is that, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and so if you want to see just two uh, groups of founders talk about media companies in Web3, uh, we are bringing questions for Jason and Mike, and they are bringing questions for us. So No way. Uh, I didn't yeah. know we were doing that. That's yeah, we're doing smart. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so idea. that's going to be a fun time. It's going to be an hour of just like banter and stuff like that. So I like cool. the Blockworks team. Yeah. All right. Ryan, what are you bullish on? So before I answer that question, uh, let me just say this week felt really exhausting. Like, um, I guess maybe emotionally draining. So um, Bankless HQ, our Twitter account, put out a tweet headline saying Ethereum broke again mm-hmm. and then went through a thread 
And the thread actually had some really good content. Like, I think it was largely accurate. The headline was off. The headline was a bit of hyperbole, I think. (laughs) I think um, when our editors published it, they were thinking like, oh, yes, maybe it's satirical. Maybe it's just kind of capturing attention so people will read the rest of the the thread. Um, An innocent mistake in my mind, right? And this happened on a uh, Friday afternoon. And I was kind of logged off. Um, I was enjoying Mother's Day. My parents were in town, that sort of thing. And David, when I logged back on, on like Sunday, my God, it felt like the entire, like we're used to getting attacked in all sorts of ways. Right. But this was a little bit different because it felt like in tribe, right. a lot of um, <laughs> people we thought were like part of the, you know, the bankless community that we've contributed a lot to were just uh, lighting us up and torturing right. bankless for doing this, um, saying that we've transformed into like click clickbait media. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it just got really negative. And I've been through these negative things before, as I know you have, but I don't know why this one just hit me. Maybe it's kind of like apathy market, bore market kind of hit me at the wrong time, like last straw type of thing. I don't know what it was. Um, we tried to apologize, but when you're being like sort of mob attacked like this, um, you there's know, not, sometimes there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Anyway, so so I posted this and I said, maybe it's the bird app talking, but I'm feeling sad right now. Um, I described this as a, a low point. Um, I was just feeling that way right. when I posted this. And this is a totally self-indulgent, like, venter um, type of tweet. You're allowed. These are valid. The, take, the takeaway was, like, uh, is that a valid youth use of Twitter? Um, yes. The takeaway for me was, like, why I was sad was because a bear market needs to be a time where the crypto community bands together and fights common enemies. Like, we got them. Gary Gensler and crew, like we got all these common enemies. We build up, we support each other. So why are we so determined to eat our own? And I said, guys, I don't know how we can expect to solve this coordination thing if our friend and enemy barometer stays max dialed to mercurial and unforgiving. This isn't about bankless. This is about all the good ones who've been burnt out by the negativity and pitchforking in crypto. Anyway, I tweeted this, mm-hmm. a total vent tweet. And David, the reaction from, I think, like the silent majority community of bankless mm-hmm. listeners was just so powerful. Like, okay, so I know the reason you do this because it's the same reason I do this. Um, the way my kind of energy gets filled up is when I hear from the community, like when, when I know that we put out a piece of content that really helps someone learn something that means something to them that kind of like educates them, that, that benefits the world. That's, that's why I do this, right? If it starts to feel like the content we put out is just not doing that, mm-hmm. it's totally energy depleting. Or if, if it starts to feel like the, the content that we put out is like harming people or like causing negative value to people, that's when I'm just like, why am I doing this in the first place? Anyway, the reaction on the back of this was just stuff like this. This is uh, Dartinian.eth. You guys changed my light life. Thank you. Don't listen to the haters. You gents have been inspiring me since November 2020 to be bankless. And I've been traveling the world for over a year because of y'all. The world needs you and your channel. You guys represent passion, honesty, intellect, and honor with the Web3 space. You're the cornerstone to this foundation and we need y'all to know it. And then he posts this picture of himself. In Machu um, Picchu. Wearing a right? bankless shirt. This is so awesome. Anyway, it, it's just like, um, I feel like even the segment is somewhat self-indulgent, but let me just say, sure. as, a, as a content creator, like this is the type of stuff that gets me excited about creating more content and doing more. 
you know, like this, this kind of stuff. And it w- wasn't just this response. There was a ton of responses, my DMs, tweets, all sorts of things. And I guess maybe more broadly, I want people to know um, if you're in crypto, you're probably engaging in social media, right? Mm-hmm. Like it maximizes for toxicity yeah. sometimes. It maximizes for outrage. And they say this all the time, but like Twitter's not real life. Right. And um, yeah, and I guess I just felt that this week and it's so easy to get caught in these these bubbles of, of social media kind of silos where you lose sight of that. But um, yeah, Twitter's not real life. So what am I bullish on? I'm bullish on the bankless community. Mm-hmm. I'm bullish that um, people continue to listen uh, to this episode. I, I think we're doing a, an okay job and um, I you know appreciate everyone who's, who's tuned in to this point. I think um, this last line that he wrote, um, Dartanian.eth, you've inspired me to be a a builder and I humbly have been grinding in the background as a pioneer, like y'all, helping to create the foundation of our new digital economy. I think the main reason why I do this, Ryan, um, is that Ethereum, the idea of Ethereum, the idea of permissionless technology, sovereign individual technology, uh, came to me in a time where I kind of needed it most in my life. Um, I found mm. Ethereum when I was in a dark spot and it allowed me to distract myself and then it allowed me to build a platform for myself and then it allowed me to see the world of self-actualization and agency. And I think the subtext of Bankless has always been something like this. And when I mm. see the silent majority of builders out there who listen to Bankless and follow us along on this journey, who have used Bankless to see in Ethereum the thing that, that I saw and that we see in Ethereum as scaffolding for self-actualization in the world. I this this is like, oh yeah, I'll I'll take the hate. That's why you're here. I'll take the hate every yeah, single day of the week. It's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth 100%, it. 100 percent That's cool. I think you said it even better than me. Guys, so we appreciate you. Thank yes, you all, do. Bankless listeners. Uh even the silent ones. We, mm-hmm. we appreciate you guys. David, meme of the week. What are we looking at this week? We've, so this is the uh, I prefer the real blank meme format, <laughs> meme format, uh, and it's the first one Doge, and then the guy says I prefer the real shit coin, and then it's Pepe, and then he goes I prefer the real shit coin, and then it's the dollar, and then the guy goes perfection, but I've added, manually added one more layer, which is the real actual shit coin is this one trillion dollar coin. So wow. if the dollar's a shit coin, the one trillion dollar coin is a trillion times more shitty. That, and that hasn't been minted yet, but the moment it minted, is, yeah. uh-huh. wait for it. Uh-huh. Yeah, wow. All right, risks and disclaimers, of course, as weird as the internet is, crypto is always weirder, and it's more risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.